forget, may we never take for granted, may we never lose sight of the grace and mercy you give to us each and every day. If we were to receive what we deserve, Lord, in our own power, we would be hopeless and helpless. But God, because of you and sending your Son and him dying on the cross and rising again, we have hope. And we have an opportunity to praise you. So, Lord, we praise you. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. So, how are you this morning? Pretty good? Good. 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 It's not snowing. I always go back to that. (laughs) How many of you did yard work on Saturday? For how long? All day. (laughs) You're a good man. (laughs) It's warm. Well, we're in the uh, book of Luke, of course, in chapter 19. And uh, last week we mentioned uh, Zacchaeus, and this week we're going to look into his life a little bit and what God has uh, was doing in his life through his um, through him meeting Jesus. Um, you know, isolation is a very brutal enemy, and isolation can break the cruelest, most calloused, and heartless person. The prison system has shown us that. The great punishment is solitary confinement. And it breaks people. And isolation or solitary confinement, whether you're a prisoner of war in the basement of an abandoned warehouse or a king who is placed in solitary confinement in one of the towers of your palace, being fed well, it's a ruthless companion. There are very few people who who can exist in that vacuum, by the way. Some people try. But we were created to live in community. There are some wonderful people who, through no fault of their own, find themselves isolated. Geniuses. It's tough on us. (laughs) It wasn't supposed to be that funny, I guess. So uh, anyway, geniuses, I'll speak on their behalf, perhaps, um, oftentimes uh, do not make friends easily, and many of them just do not fit within the culture in which they live. Their view of the world is different. Their view of the arts is different. Their view of the meaning of life is different. So many geniuses find themselves longing for what they consider to be typical and normal social relationships. But the problem is they exist on a different level than most of us. Then there are those who choose to isolate themselves. Sometimes this happens because of a job or family dynamics. And then sometimes they have become isolated because of how they have chosen to be. Stated another way, these particular folks have chosen to pursue their own interests over all things. They have chosen to do this even to the detriment of others. They have been unscrupulous and deceitful in their business dealings, perhaps, in order to advance their own agenda, which ultimately makes them less and less touchable by others. They have unwittingly isolated themselves from all that human nature and their human spirit craves. And that's community. Enter a man by the name of Zacchaeus. 
Let's read our scripture for this morning. Luke 19, 1 through 10. He, meaning Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way, meaning Jesus. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully, meaning Zacchaeus received Jesus joyfully. And when they saw it, meaning the bystanders, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and I have def- and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also... Since he also is the son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. So the first thing, question we have is, who was Zacchaeus? The first thing we learn is that he lived in Jericho. So if you like to take notes and those kinds of things, I got a little bit organized this week. It, kind of an accident, but I got organized. So number one is, who is, Zacchaeus, who is Zacchaeus and and Point A is he was from Jericho. There are two different Jerichos, by the way. We touched on this last week. There's the old Jericho that was famous of uh, having the walls falling from the inside out because the Israelite Jewish people marched around Jericho and God gave them that victory. And it was not too far in the distance from the Jericho of the New Testament. And the reason that is kind of important is because people who... Um, who believe the uh, the Bible is um, inconsistent in some things? It's because typically they don't really know either either the geology, the the geographical locations of things, or the timing. But Old Jericho was just outside of New Jericho, so some would say, "Well, see, when when the New Testament said that G- when Jesus was entering in, he encountered this fellow, and then when he was entering in, he encountered Zacchaeus." Well, it's quite possible Jesus was entering into the Old Jericho, and there were beggars lining that street, and then he passed out of the Old Jericho, and then he entered into the New Jericho. Now, that, those are minor points because it doesn't affect the gospel one way or the other. But sometimes it's important to realize that the Bible is very accurate. It's very accurate. So there are two different Jerichos, uh, one of the Old Testament, and the ruins of the Old Jericho were right next door to the New Jericho. And the New Jericho was very much alive and popular and beautiful. I believe this comes from Encyclopedia Britannica. It says, Jericho, with its flourishing oasis, was a strategic crossroads in the road network of ancient Palestine. The road leading to and from Jericho used by merchants, armies, and pilgrims, has been important throughout history. Jericho was a winter resort for rulers and rich people in Palestine. Roman generals, including Pompey, passed through Jericho, and Herod the Great built his winter palaces there. The oasis attracted bustling activity, 
and historians from the Hellenistic Roman era. And they stressed Jericho's economic, administrative, and these, these historians stressed uh, Jericho's economic, administrative, and military importance. In the time of Jesus, Herodian Jericho was flourishing with the construction of numerous villas, the cultivation of date palms, and the production of wine, spices, and perfumes. So in Jesus' time, about 18-mile-long road from Jericho to Jerusalem was notorious for its danger and difficulty. And in Jesus' time, the site had apparently functioned as a way station for travelers, which it remained through the Byzantine era, the Crusades, and the Ottoman era. A little bit of a background for why Jericho was so important. They were also known for a certain floral plant or, or herb that had a sweet, sweet fragrance. And Herod had lined his courtyard with those, with those plants. And that aroma would, would just float over all of Jericho. So it was just really a beautiful place of commerce and activity. So that's where uh, Zacchaeus lived. The second thing, letter B, is we need to learn <clears throat> that he was small in stature. And this is important. The world is not always friendly to those who may be a few inches different in height. And Zacchaeus was most probably the object of ridicule from those who were dealing with a few strategically misplaced brain cells. It has been my experience that if someone is ridiculed in one area, they make up for it in another area. It's survival. My point is that the position of a chief tax collector suited Zacchaeus as a profession because it leveled the playing field. The third thing we need to learn about Zacchaeus is he was rich. He had done well for himself. He was involved in one of the first pyramid schemes in history. He was at the top of the pyramid. He received a percentage of all the other tax collectors' proceeds. Even the other tax collectors disliked Zacchaeus because he was taking a percentage of their profit. He had no friends. In addition to this flow of money, he defrauded others for his own gain. He was viewed as a dishonest and rich snob who cared very little, if at all, for others. He was successful and prosperous, and chances are he had a chip on his shoulder. He carried with him a certain attitude that created a type of force field that kept people at a safe distance. And some may have seen this as arrogance. As a matter of fact, most of us would misunderstand this as arrogance. <clears throat> the reality is I believe it was a lot of insecurity. In other words, he was isolated. He lived in a social, solitary confinement. He was successful, aggressive, wealthy, and very, very, very alone. Kind of get this picture of Zacchaeus when the sun comes up where he lived. He would go walking, perhaps in his garden, alone. 
And he would be looking at all the beautiful shrubs alone. He would be having his morning, whatever he had back then, tea or whatever it may be, alone. Longing for someone with whom he could share his accomplishments. Accomplishments is an important word. He wants to share what he did with others. See, we as believers, we know who do the right things, right? We know where the good comes from. It's from God. We have nothing to brag about. Paul says that. He says, you know, I was a Jew of Jews, man. I mean, <laughs> great family, big education. I was a junior Pharisee making my name. People were afraid of me. That's a good thing. And he says, all of that was the tender definition is horse manure. That's what it was to him. Because, you know, it's all horse manure. See, Zacchaeus says, this is what I've accomplished. Against what? All odds. But he's alone. One of the last things we learn about Zacchaeus is that he went after what he wanted. He was a go-getter. He permitted nothing or no one to stand in his way. He could and would find a way to get what he wanted. He would even suffer humiliation to achieve his goal. Well, how do we know that? Well, let's look at verse 1 again. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see Jesus. Okay? He wants to see Jesus. Jesus. And he was passing by. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So what was his solution? He ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. Zacchaeus went after what he wanted. Are we getting the picture? Remember, people are traveling to Jerusalem for the Passover. Many of them are passing through Jericho. In addition to the normal foot traffic of people going to this particular Passover, there is this mob of people that are surrounding Jesus who have just come up through old Jericho and are now passing through the new Jericho. And Zacchaeus had heard much about him. So Zacchaeus has a problem. He is not tall enough to see over the heads of the people who have begun to line the street over which Jesus will pass. He sees one option, and he pursues it in order to get a glimpse of Jesus. But to, but to pursue this option, he must sacrifice his dignity. Remember the prodigal son story. <clears throat> Prodigal son goes, run, runs away, runs, runs off to pursue his lusts, really. And the father who is humiliated permits this. Excuse me. <clears throat> and the short story is this, that the elderly, older men, what we would consider the wisdom of the community, would wear long robes and they would have a belt. And you were not to show your legs you were not to run. But remember what happened when that prodigal son came back. He tucked his robe up in his belt and he ran. He sacrificed his dignity. 
men didn't run through town. And here is Zacchaeus. And you know what is paramount in this man's life? Is pride and status. Why? He's a man of small stature. Even the tax collectors, the people who are least loved, if not most hated, even they hate him. So we have this man who is small in stature, and he wants to see Jesus, and he is very wealthy, and he's on his way, and the crowd lining the streets permit does not permit him to catch a glimpse of him. So he runs ahead, and he climbs a tree. This is pretty miraculous. Well, it's not miraculous. It's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing. The sycamore tree is a broad-limbed tree, and it hangs kind of low to the ground. And he perches on a branch, so he literally has a bird's-eye view of the parade. And what is he hoping for, according to verse 3? He was seeking to see who Jesus was. Now, this isn't the same kind of seeking that Jesus will use later when Jesus says, I have come to seek and to save. He wants to see. He is curious, perhaps. But God is already working in his heart. He's already working in his heart. He was seeking to see who Jesus was. Or could it be that he had heard that this Jesus was a friend of sinners and who? Tax collectors. What's he? He's the chief tax collector. Can, can you kind of see what, I, what, what Zacchaeus is hoping for here? I've heard about Jesus. And I've heard that he even takes in tax collectors. As a matter of fact, one of his apostles used to be a tax collector. If I have any hope at all, it's with Jesus. Because he takes in people just like me. Now, isn't that a comforting thought today? Jesus takes in people even just like me. The last part was significant for Zacchaeus. Jesus was known to socialize with people like him. Now, if this was true, then perhaps he could even be a friend to a tax collector. Maybe Jesus would be my friend. So this is who Zacchaeus was. Number two, Zacchaeus, I'm sorry, Christ calls Zacchaeus. And within the entourage of Jesus, there are many different kinds of people, numbering in the hundreds, by the way. Most noticeably are 12 apostles and at least one healed blind beggar that just got healed in in, in old Jericho. He's only walked a little, a little time. Remember what it said, though, how he walked? Praising God. As soon as he was healed, he got up and started praising God, and he went with Jesus. So this guy's praising God. Zacchaeus is perched in a tree, probably hoping not to be noticed, except by Jesus, but even that. And he sees a crowd of people approaching. There was great excitement from all of the spectators. And then he sees Jesus in their midst. Have you ever tried to get the glimpse of someone that you really admire but have never met and probably shouldn't even be able to be in the presence of? Have you ever happened 
Have you ever happened into the same room or the same area as someone who's very famous and, and maybe they've had an impact on your life? It's interesting, isn't it? We know they're only people, but because of the reputation they have or how they have impacted others, or us, we're doing this all the time. We want to see this person. He's perched in a tree. It's great excitement. <clears throat> Jesus is in the midst of this crowd, and before he can absorb all that he is seeing, Jesus takes his eyes off the people who are surrounding him and stops and looks right at him. Eye contact. Can you imagine hoping for only a glimpse of the Messiah and suddenly, without warning, you are gazing into his eyes? That will happen to those of us whom God has had mercy on, right? We won't, we won't be viewing Jesus from a distance. Of all the people Jesus could have addressed, he is addressing you. Of all the people who in your eyes deserved to have more attention than you are receiving from this person, he is looking at you. Not only is he addressing you, he calls you by name. Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is probably thinking, how does he know my name? And when he calls you by name, it is not to humiliate you like most people do. It is not to mock you like most people do. It is a friendly and kind greeting that offers hope and elevates him in the eyes of everyone who witnesses this. Well, most of them. We always have some leaders in there, right? Think about the people that's walking with Jesus. There's the blind beggar. And this guy's calling out. And they go, shh, shh. And Jesus stops. And he says, bring this man to me. Now here's Zacchaeus, mocked, abused, brought it on himself maybe. And all the people that are around him, Jesus looks at Zacchaeus. And if that were not enough, Zacchaeus come down here for I must stay at your house today so here's the thought if we were writing a movie script for this scene it would probably not be too far off to say that Zacchaeus looked at Jesus Jesus called his name close up of the eyes of Zacchaeus and then he falls out of the tree <laughs> That's probably what I... Whoa! It's just so far removed from Zacchaeus' reality. It's so far removed. So we know who Zacchaeus was. We hear that Jesus calls Zacchaeus. Number three, Zacchaeus responds to Christ. Luke 19.6, So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Now what I understand this to say is when addressed personally by Jesus Christ at Zacchaeus without hesitation hurried and came down, he got saved. 
joyfully saved. I think that's where the conversion happened. We have no way of knowing. God was obviously working in his heart prior to that. Now, in between verse 6 and verse 7, Jesus and Zacchaeus enter into the home of the chief tax collector. We dare not miss the significance of this scene. Jesus has already associated with tax collectors, and now he is associating with the most despicable of the lot, a chief tax collector. If you are Jesus' PR firm, you would be saying, uh, listen, I know your heart. I know you really have a heart for these people, but I'm telling you, if you keep this stuff up, you're going to go nowhere. You're going to go nowhere. Can you see the walkie-talkie? Jesus has entered into the home of a chief tax collector. And the guy on the other end says, uh, say that again? He's entered into the home of a chief tax collector. Can you get him out of there? How many people have seen this? How many people know about this? We need to get him out for his own good. And by the way, on a human level, it would have been for his own good because he's on the way to the cross and all of these things are following him. But Jesus' goal was not to remain alive. His goal was to fulfill the prophecy. So in between these two verses, he goes into the home. Jesus just continues to light up the leadership. You know what I mean? He just lights them up all the time. But he's not lighting them up for the sake of lighting them up. Jesus is lighting them up because of who he is. Lighting, up, lighting them up means he's just irritating them to death. Truth lights them up. And he is truth. Non-discrimination lights them up. Christ does not discriminate between Jew and Gentile. Offering grace to everyone lights them up. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, which means he is grace. Associating with the poor lights them up. Jesus says, if you love me, you will give to the poor. And predictably, here is a reaction of some of the people who observe this. Verse 7. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. How many of you spend your life grumbling? I can be a grumbler. And sometimes my, my loving family says, you know you're grumbling. It's never that subtle, but I said, I know. I, I tend to be a glass half empty guy. I really am. And, and I know that doesn't speak well of Jesus who's in me, but I'm just really belligerent. And so I have people around me that say, you know, stop grumbling. You can spend your whole life grumbling. They grumble and say, look, he's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Uh, being a tax collector was not a sinner. It's not sin. As a matter of fact, it was, it was instituted by God himself for his people. It's the dishonesty and love of money that is a sin. So now they're in the home of Zacchaeus, and look at verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. Now be careful here. It isn't that he was giving them to the poor. This is what he was saying. The half of my goods, we would say, I will give to the poor. He was not, uh, uh, he, he was not, um, he, was, he was a selfish man. 
Half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. This is probably a reference to one of the laws of Moses. Exodus 22 one says, If a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills it or sells it, he shall repay five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. It's probably a reference to that law. So we know this is what we know from that. Zacchaeus knew the law. He knew the law. And if he knew the law, he was also reading where there was prophecy. <laughs> this is pretty dramatic. Zacchaeus immediately recognized who was in charge in that room in his house, and it wasn't him. He not only recognizes who was in charge, but he immediately submits to that person's authority. So he submits to Christ's authority. We see here that Zacchaeus knew the law, but did not heed it. However, following his conversion, his salvation, Zacchaeus wanted to obey the law. This is really important. You know, there can be this big debate between grace and works. Grace and law. And um, some would say they're like this. But they're really like this. It's amazing that until we receive Christ Jesus, the law is our enemy. But after we receive Christ Jesus, it, it is a blessing. Why? Because we're no longer we're no longer prone. We're no longer aggressive toward. It. We're no longer fear it. Because Christ has fulfilled it. He's fulfilled the ceremonial law. So here's the thing. You know, you have a dad or a mom, you know, and, and maybe you have young kids right now or whatever. You look back on raising your children. You love your children so very, very, very much. And the reason you want them to obey these laws is because it's good for them. And at some point, we pray, they get to the point where they're not always bucking against the law. So we mature, and then all of a sudden, we're adults, and we're telling our children, you have to obey the law. And they're going, wah, 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 wah. So it's, it's salvation. God even says, through, through Paul, says, the law, the law was my enemy. And if you're still counting on the law to save you, it is still your enemy. But once you receive Jesus Christ, we look to the law and we say, if I want to please God, this is what I do. This is what I do. Number one, we know who Zacchaeus was. Number two, we see Christ call Zacchaeus. Number three, we see Zacchaeus respond to Christ. Number four, Christ responds to Zacchaeus. The willingness of Zacchaeus to repay all of those whom he had defrauded was an outward expression of the new creation he had become within his spirit. So we have two things here that we're going to talk about real briefly. Confession and repentance. Zacchaeus addressed Jesus by using his messianic title. And Zacchaeus stood... 
He wasn't lounging on his couch. He stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord. That is confession. Behold, Lord. I'm confessing that you are the Son of God. You are my Redeemer. You are my Savior. That you are are exactly who the Bible says that you are. This is in today's vernacular. That you are the one and only Son of God. You are not the brother of another God. You are the one and only Son of God. You were born of a virgin. You came to this earth. You lived as a man. You suffered and you died for my sins. And then you rose on the third day, conquering death. And it is through you, Lord Jesus. This is, this is Zacchaeus. He probably wasn't saying this. All he said was, Behold, Lord. And Jesus goes, I get it. I get it. That's all he had to say. Because he had already gone through this in his head. And he looks at Zacchaeus and he says, I have good news for you. In essence, he says, you're saved. But there was confession when he said to him, he said, behold, Lord. And then there was repentance. This is his repentance. The half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. So there's not necessarily an outward sign that we can see concerning confession, but there certainly should be an outward sign concerning our repentance. Here's why. Who we are affects what we think, and what we think affects what we do, and what we do affects who we think we are. And if I'm a believer, I'm a new creation in Christ, and I no longer look at myself the way I used to look at myself. You know how I look at myself? I look at myself as a child of God who's had my sins paid for. Therefore, that affects who I know that I am. I'm a child of God. And my actions will then reflect that. So Zacchaeus' response to meeting Jesus was to make restitution for his sins. He has no longer the same he was no longer the same person and this interchange was affecting his view of his life and his values this was proof that his conversion was genuine by the way there's nine signs that you're saved never heard that before right yes you have i just said it in a provocative way there's nine signs that you can know you're saved it's called the fruit of the spirit Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in increasing measure. Every believer should see this, it's singular, fruit of the Spirit. Every believer should see all nine of these things growing within us. As believers, we should be wise as we discern someone claimed to be a brother in Christ. We should be especially diligent when it comes to church leadership. For us, it takes time to be able to evaluate the authenticity of someone's spiritual position in Christ. I cannot know your heart. I just know what I see you do. And that is a reflection. And at that point, I can begin to know your heart because I see what you are doing. And of course, it's the Holy Spirit in you. There is the Holy Spirit in me. And there is absolute unity in the the Holy Spirit. 
God, but Jesus Christ had the advantage of knowing immediately that Zacchaeus had made a decision to receive him. He immediately knows the sincerity and authenticity of someone who claims to have received him. Jesus said to him, verse 9, Today salvation has come to this house, Zacchaeus. Not meaning the household. We, we, by the way, we have no record that he was married or any children. And then Jesus said the following, Since he also is a son of Abraham, <clears throat> it's kind of an interesting phrase. Some of you who know your Old Testament a little bit, and may, maybe this particular area of the Old Testament, Abram at the time, not Abraham, Abram was called by God to believe. What was he called to believe? That Sarah would give him a son. And they were both older. I would say midlife, right around 90. <laughs> Genesis 15, through 6 says this, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. <clears throat> Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham and Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir. Your very own son will be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and under the stars, and, they, and number them if you can. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness great act of faith that separated Abraham, Abram, from every other Jewish man at that time. And he said, trust me that I will give you an heir. And he said, I believe. And, he, and this is what God said, that's all it takes. Because you believe that is now counted to you as righteousness. Anybody know who his first son was? Ishmael from Hagar, an Egyptian maidservant. Do you know who came from Ishmael? The Arab nation. Actually, Islam. So here's the deal. <clears throat> when Jesus said, Today's salvation has come to this house, meaning Zacchaeus, and then he said, since he also is a son of Abraham. Why? Because Abraham exhibited faith. He could have said a descendant of Abraham, but it's two different things. Islam is a descendant of Abraham. That religion. Because of Ishmael. But they're not sons of Abraham. So it's very, very clear here. He says, salvation has come to your house because now you're a son of Abraham, not just a descendant. So we see here that it's always been about faith. It has always taken, uh, it, it has always taken faith in God to be saved. Old Testament, New Testament. Faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we cannot see. Hebrews 11.1. 1. The same is true for us today. When we receive Jesus Christ, God counts it to us as righteousness. 
So what makes this miracle of being counted as righteousness in the eyes of God possible? We have the answer. Verse 10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The message says it this way, For the Son of Man came to find and restore the lost. How and why was Zacchaeus saved? Because Jesus sought him out and spoke into his life. Can I remind you of Matthew 19? And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich man enter the kingdom of heaven. Zacchaeus was rich. I think he was angry. Maybe bitter. He was untouchable. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. And yet we read this miraculous account of a very rich and self-sufficient man confessing and repenting of his sins. So what do you think Zacchaeus's need was that Jesus met? It wasn't offering him wealth, right? He had that. It wasn't offering him respect because the respect he received may not have been the kind of respect we would want, but they were forced to respect him. It wasn't status. So the need that Jesus met in Zacchaeus' life, he was isolated. He was rich and isolated, friendless. Did not belong to belong. He did not belong anywhere. He was an outcast. One of the great strategies of our enemy, Satan, is to isolate us from one another, because he knows he can never isolate us from Jesus. Isolation spawns doubts, fears, depression, frustration, anger, and even paranoia. Jesus spoke into Zacchaeus' life when Zacchaeus was isolated and depressed. And I believe that God speaks into our lives in the area in which we are, have the greatest need. And if Jesus is speaking into your life, what need is he trying to make you aware of? And I do believe that Jesus is speaking into our lives this morning. Because just Jesus speaks through His Word and we are learning from God's Word. So if you have not yet received Jesus, He is undoubtedly calling for you to confess and repent of your sin and be saved. That's His first message to you. And if you are a believer in Christ, He's encouraging you to confess and repent of your sins and grow and mature in Him. My guess is um, most of us, if, if we've lived any time at all, you know, over 30 years or 40 years or whatever it may be, we've had Zacchaeus moments. And uh, we've had to make some choices. And sometimes uh, to continue on the way we've been continuing on is too painful. 
So we run. And I think that most of us, maybe even all of us, we do have loneliness. And we can find ourselves isolated. So my question is at some point is what need do you have that you think someone else can meet? And there is no need that you have that someone else can meet. It all comes through Jesus. It just does. So my invitation to you this morning is this. If you've not yet made a decision for the Lord Jesus Christ, we invite you to do that. And we say it every week. And the way that is done is how Zach, is, is the situation Zacchaeus found himself in. I confess to you, Jesus Christ, that you are Lord. And as I confess this to you, I receive you. And Lord, I will do whatever you ask of me. And I repent of the sin in my life. And that's salvation. I also want to challenge people who maybe for all of their lives have gotten just to uh, one level in their faith because uh, you struggle with giving things up. It doesn't necessarily mean you're not saved. But I doubt that you're happy. So my other challenge is this, that whatever God may be pointing out to you in your life that has become a wall and will not permit you to grow more in Christ, you just recognize that and say, Lord, break down this wall. And give me the courage to follow. Follow.